um, it's, it's so good that, that people are, are engaging and you're engaging. But as we were praying, we felt that tilling of the ground and, and that, that breaking up. And of course, you can only ever harvest when the ground is broken up and you can put the seed into soft ground, right? And in this 21 days of prayer, what the Lord's been doing, he's been breaking our hearts up so the seed can come in so that we can look forward to a harvest. When this winter is over, there will be a spring. And when we've come through this pandemic, there will be a move of God. But what God is doing is we may look around and think the branches are a little bit thin in the church. And we look at the churches or churches where we see the thinness and we see the thin branches and it's not quite as it used to be. We know that, that only 63% of people have returned to church at this time in varying ways. Whereas the other, um, what, um, uh, 37 um, have disengaged or drifted off or gone in a different way. But what I believe that even though the branches may seem a little thin at the moment, what the Holy Spirit is doing, the Holy Spirit is making our roots go deep. Now you know that when roots go deep and when spring comes, because of the depth of the roots, the plant just grows, right? And what we need is deep roots. And if we have deep roots, we will see the growth take place. And 21 days of prayer as we move towards uh, the uh, time of our, uh, our worship service at the end of the month is that time when we are sending down, prophetically if you like, those deep roots and, and we are preparing for what God is going to do as the branches will grow and the fruit will come and God has tested the church and we have had this test because one day, let me remind you, there will be a far greater test coming. There will be a far greater test. And I don't think this, personally, I don't think this is the great test. But I think it is a test. And God is asking us and searching our hearts. And how are you doing with that? Well, I know you're doing amazing because I greet you on the front and you're just the nicest people you could ever meet. You're lovely. And what a blessing it is to gather this morning. I was over at Lake Country last Sunday uh, commissioning their new building and praying. And that was just a wonderful atmosphere of uh, God's presence. So we've been on this journey of rhythms. And as we've been on this journey of rhythms, um, I started off uh, uh, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before and spoke about finding ourselves and our culture is completely driven by trying to find ourselves. And yet, it's hard to find ourselves because you will never find yourself unless you actually find who created you, the creator. And when you find Jesus, you find your true identity because your true identity is found in Christ Jesus. And when you understand that, that, that changes everything. But there's this Chapter 1 of Genesis and chapter 2. In chapter 1, as it like, we have, have Adam who was sent out to strive. And then in chapter 2, we have the image of Adam, the soulful Adam. But after the fall, we've become human beings that spend our lives striving to gain acceptance, working hard to do it, 
trying to prove ourselves. Or we can become that kind of soulful person where we try and get fulfillment through multiple relationships in different directions and thinking that will give us happiness when actually true happiness comes by communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that, as 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 um, Jordan preached last week so well, he spoke about the power of gratitude. He spoke about the power of meditating, ruminating over scripture. He spoke about that power of, of, of knowing that, that joy and thanksgiving within our hearts and being that kind of people. And I want to talk to you about a subject this morning. And this subject is something that we're not very good at in spiritual disciplines. But it is the subject of simplicity. Because as we become people of, who abide in Christ, we learn to understand where our fullness really comes from. We learn to understand where the difference comes from. You know, with the advance in sciences, what we understand is that when we spend time meditating on Scripture, and when we spend time praying, and when we spend time stopping and spending time in the presence of God, and allowing ourselves to connect with the divine, actually with neuroscience now, they can see how your light, how your mind lights up like a, a firework display, that in your mind, use what they call those neurons wire together or separate in the jungle of your mind. And in the jungle of your mind, you're able to cut through all the chatter of self-doubt, all the chatter of fear, all the anxieties and worries of life. And when we pray, literally in our minds, we, we take a spiritual machete and we cut our way through the jungle of ourself and we find a path to commune with the living God. And on neuroscience, they show that, that your, light, your mind lights up in those certain areas and life comes when you dwell on Christ. Interestingly, when you buy something new, a material thing like a new car or that Armani suit, have any of you ever bought an Armani suit? I haven't. I buy a Costco suit. Uh, but, or, or you know, uh, you got to love retro suits, Zellers. Oh, do you remember Zellers? Oh, I tell you. Get everything from Zellers. When I used to come in the 80s to Canada, I used to go back and smuggle Zellers stuff back into England. Awesome. But you know, there's that, when you buy something that is expensive, when you buy something that is, is that you've desired, that you've wanted, that, that new toy, that new object that you really, really want, uh, interestingly, that your brain lights up in the same area. But interestingly, that when you spend time in the presence of God, what God does within you, they say, have proven is that is long-lasting, whereas when we put our trust in material things, it lasts for but a moment. It comes and it goes. Why? Because stuff, material things, idols, things in our life, ultimately do not satisfy us. And so much of our world 
is built about finding satisfaction in other things rather than satisfaction in communing and having intimacy with Christ Jesus. You see, Christ came to bring us back to the Father. Christ was nailed to the cross so that we could commune. Christ came so that we could be grafted into the branch of Israel. Christ came so that we can have purpose, life and meaning and yet humanity has become obsessed by getting stuff because for that moment our brains light up but it does not last. The only thing that truly lasts in our life is our relationship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as for me, I want to renew the brain. Renew the mind, as Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, beseech you, brethren, that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then the renewing and the transforming of the mind. And when we concentrate in simplicity and closeness to God, and we put our trust and intimacy in Christ, literally, our minds are renewed by the power of Christ. And they've, they've shown that, you know, somebody might earn $75,000 a year. Somebody might earn $100,000. But when you look at the difference and measure that with happiness and contentment, stuff does not make you happy. The difference is slight compared to what you and I would imagine. Because people aren't fulfilled. It may mean that, that somebody that earns more, 100000 can go to their favorite restaurant a little bit more often. They can hang out a little bit. I don't know where you go. It's Cactus Club or, or, or wherever. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually marginally give you the happiness that we desire because we gain Real intimacy and real happiness by the value of the relationships we have with each other. The value of the relationships we have in our families, in our friendships. And the value of relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what brings true fulfillment. And so often when we've put our trust and we seek to live cluttered lives rather than simple lives. And knowing a rhythm of simplicity, research has shown that, you know, people may have the wealth of the world and their children may have all that, but it can often create a lack of empathy. It can create problems. And I was struck in the earliest days of my Christianity when I, when I came, went to church as a young convert and there was an elder in the church that owned a glorious uh, garden center in our town and that and it was well known and everybody used to go to it and it was like it made so much money and and we see these garden centers around and I remember them talking about this old man how he always drove a second-hand car because he wasn't willing to spend the money and lived a modest life because he chose to live in simplicity, but then chose to sow into the kingdom of God. I thought, really? People live like this? People choose to live humble, simple, uncluttered lives? It shouldn't surprise us. 
Because when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever considered where he came into the world? How he entered humanity? You know, Jesus Christ is the only human being that had the choice of where he was going to be born, had the choice of the status, had the choice of where to come. You and I, we didn't have the choice, did we? Not at all. I mean, um, did you, I mean, you think if Jesus had the choice and he was coming down, he might have chosen to kind of, uh, you know, if you, some people you say to them, what would you like? What kind of choice would you like? How would you like to come into this world? And maybe you'd choose to come back as, as, as a multi-billionaire. Maybe uh, choose to come down as, as um, you know, Elon Musk or worth, I read the other day, $254 billion. Wow. You know? Or maybe the owner of Amazon. Or maybe the money of Bill Gates. If I could choose where I'm going to come and live, where am I going to come and live? Christ could have chose, but he chose not to come to the palaces of humanity. He didn't choose to come to the court of the Caesars. He didn't come down to the world, but he came to an irrelevant little part of Israel where God had a plan. He chose to come and come amongst the poor. In fact, the Bible says that he chose to come as, you know, as a carpenter, like his father. The word carpenter literally means it can be in the original, uh, we know that it can be used as a stone worker or a laborer. But tecton is the actual word, and that is used for a daily laborer. Somebody that went out and got work on that day. And it amazes me that when Christ came into the world, he came into a position of absolute humility. Humility. He came to us into this world. And Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He came. He wanted to live simply. He came and lived humbly. He came to show us a different way. He came to show us how he identified with the weakest. If you like, you could say that he came into the world as a blue-collar worker, there as a carpenter, there in that home, there working with Joseph. But actually, Jesus walked across the room from being blue-collar to being white-collar because he became like a rabbi, a teacher, somebody respected, somebody that moved in the political circles, somebody that challenged the establishment, somebody that was known as an intellectual. At 13 years old, he was there in the temple debating about the wonders of God and got in trouble for that because he got separated. You know, he went from... from a position of humility, he became a teacher. He engaged in their world. So I often ask myself the question, why did Christ come in such humble circumstances? Why did he come to that spot? 
because he literally could choose. Well, he wanted to identify, of course, with the brokenness and the poorest of humanity. He wanted to identify. Let me remind you something. 71% of the world lives on $10 a day or less. The very virtue that you are in this room suggests to me that you are part of the 3% of the world. $10 or less a day. Doesn't it make sense that the creator of the universe, that the creator of all things came in humility, came to lead us back to God and came and identified with the poorest, the simplest, those who were seen as nothing in that world. And he came amongst them and grew up amongst them. And then he came and challenged the authorities and eventually... They took him and they crucified him and he died for our sins. But on the third day, he rose again because Christ's mission was to rescue the world. And there's a beauty in that. He learned obedience through from what he suffered. He was a good son. He was faithful. He was willing And we do find it difficult in life, in Western life, to talk about simplicity and about finding fulfillment, not in the fireworks display of our brains as we have that new and shiny thing, as the endless conveyor belt of Amazon Prime delivers to our door what we desire and what we want, and it keeps coming, and it's never ending, and they just got it, and they you know, oh, what's coming today? You can even have it delivered by a A drone if you're in L.A. How exciting is that? And we'll bring that new pair of, of shoes. How exciting. Your mind lights up. But fulfillment, peace, true peace, comes through our connection and abiding with Christ. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There are times in intimacy with Christ. And I've experienced this at moments. When I've been so close to Christ in my prayer times that I crave absolutely nothing because he has absolutely filled me. And sometimes I sit there. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every month. There's a divine moment when I'm in his presence that the world 
offers nothing and that godly connection with the divine and intimacy with Christ and being filled with the spirit and a sense of salvation and a sense of joy is so overwhelming that literally it's like I'm, I'm pushing on, on the very fabric of eternity and realizing that all I've trusted in materially is is of no value in my motivation, but the true value is seeing him face to face at that moment. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be studious. I'm not saying we shouldn't take opportunities. I'm not saying we shouldn't run businesses. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be be productive. We are called to be those people. We're called to do that. But what I'm saying is, what fills you? We crave what fills us. And if we crave all the things of the world, we will never be satisfied. Our heads will just explode for those moments. And then after a while, that German car that we may be driving finally, or this moment, or I've got, you know, whatever is going on passes away and you look for something else. You see, when you are full, you no longer crave. Isn't that true about life? At Christmas, you've eaten so much and they say, would you like some more? And you go, no, I'm full. <laughs> I can't, I can't eat anymore. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, but you know. But when you are full, you don't crave. And when your heart is full of your relationship with Christ, you don't crave the world in the way others do because you've found that it has not the meaning. You're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. You're not trying to compete. You're not being the striving Adam. But you are learning to walk again in the cool of the evening. And you're learning to be a person of prayer. You're learning to be a person of depth. You're learning to commune with Christ. And believe me, I'm not even close to there yet at the moment. But I think the closer I am to Christ now, at that moment when I die, it will just simply be stepping over into, the, into his presence because his presence is filling my life and I crave nothing else but to be filled by the presence of Christ in my life. And often, it's like Ignatius, the second century church leader, he was martyred for Christ. He wrote some brilliant stuff. But, but Ignatius said, when you look at material things, you don't imagine that the bishop of, where was he, what uh, kind of central Turkey. You don't imagine um, the bishop of that time doing uh, writings and prayers about material things because we're the material age, but he really did. And he said, this is the prayer of Ignatius. The prayer of Ignatius was, as you come to the Lord, ask yourself about certain things in your life. Does it bring you joy? Does it give you life? Does it make you thankful to God? And then he said, or does it make you anxious? Does it make you frustrated? Does it make you irritated? Does it make you unhappy? 
So I'm not, I'm saying spirituality and Christianity and the ancient ways has always had a simplicity line, a humility to it because of who Christ is. And the early church fathers said, examine yourself. I remember Michelle started throwing away loads of things. And, um, and I said, what are you doing? She was like, she was visiting the thrift store like every day. And she's saying, well, I'm asking myself a question. Does this give me joy? Does it mean something to me? Or does, does it not? I said, but those are my things. <laughs> those are my books. What do you mean, where's your stuff? That's, that's mine. Honestly. <laughs> Sorry, love. But... You can't, of course, it's not going to give you joy because that belongs to me. I, I joke. Partly. But have you ever looked at your world and said, does this give me joy? This thing? Does this give me life? Does this give me a heart of thanksgiving? Or does it actually give me stress? If it does, give it away. Bless somebody. Give it away. I know how generous Kelowna is because we were inundated with most amazing clothes. And, and people would look at this, honestly, the coats. North Face. Patagonian coats. There is some money in Kelowna. And I, I, I look at the coats. I go there early in the morning when I was praying, look at the coats and go, ooh, I'd like that coat. I said to Michelle, look at these coats. And she said to me, you know, I know, but the Lord spoke to me. She said, and she said, the Lord said, I don't want to misquote it, but, but when the you know, when the offering comes into the temple, the priest must not interfere with the offering. Mustn't take it for themselves because the offering's to God. Is that, is that it? Sort of, yeah. You get the drift. In other words, don't take the coat, Phil. Right? Because this has been given for God, not for you. Go and buy your own Patagonian coat from Value Village. Um, <laughs> Because you need a mortgage to own one. But, do you see what I'm saying? You don't. You don't. And I always think of this story. We were raised on this story. We preached this so much when I was a young evangelist. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, 
Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Ooh. Ooh. That has bothered me for about 35 years. This verse. At this, the man's face fell with the rest of us. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I preach this. We preached it. He was so rich and yet so poor. That's a good line. He was so near and yet so far. You can hear the evangelist preaching it, can't you? He was so good and yet so bad. Oh, I tell you. That, that sermon, preach it all over Africa. Love it. But when I just look at it now, you see the whole message is, where are you, what are you craving and what is filling your heart? Research has shown that, real, that people find real happiness when they have wealth, when they invest something that is beyond themselves. They invest in something that is larger and leaves a legacy. And they invest in something that makes a difference. And even as we look at our lives... Where we invest in. See, what bothered me about this story was that I'd, I'd, I'd rarely met anybody that actually done this. I don't know if you have met somebody that's actually done this. And so I came across a guy called John Pendle. He, um, I wrote about him in the article this week in The Courier. And um, he was... <clears throat> A businessman, a bit of a, a, what we would call a chancer. In other words, he kind of, you know, made a lot of money. He was known for his cars, for his extravagant lifestyle, for the way that he had a chauffeur. Drove around with his chauffeur. And his chauffeur happened to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. His chauffeur sat in the front of his car, driving him around. And, and John was known for his womanizing, his affairs. John was known for his drug use. He would use uh, narcotics and drugs. John was known for his arrogance. He describes himself as somebody who's utterly self-centered, utterly driven by himself. He lived in a 16th century British farmhouse in southern England. At that point was worth, you know, 1.5 million pounds, which is probably around, you know, two and a half million pounds, which today isn't that much. But compared to some costs, today would be, I don't know, 10 million and he lived this life, and yet he was so desperately unfulfilled. And his chauffeur said to him, sir, I notice that you're a little bit unfulfilled. Do you want to come to church with me? I'll drive you there. So John went to church, and it was a church much like ours. 
I mean, Zach wasn't leading worship, but quite similar. And he walks in and he's like, he said, I was richer than all the people in that room. I had more expensive cars. But I looked at them and I saw that in their lives there was a joy and there was a peace. And this bothered me. I did not want to become a Christian. And then I did an alpha course. And he said at the end of the course he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And his little boy said to him, Dad... I like my new daddy. Guess what do you mean? New daddy. I'm your daddy. Not a new daddy. But now I've got a happy daddy and not an angry daddy. Well, God got hold of John's heart and that entrepreneurial wheeling and dealing side and he ended up in Africa And there's articles about him because while he was in Africa, God turned his heart and turned him around and he returned. And eventually the Lord led him to a point where he sold his wonderful and successful marketing business. He sold his 16th century farmhouse. He sold everything and he went to live in a traditional mud hut in Uganda set up feeding programs, gave up everything, clean water, school, and then set up a charity in England to take disenfranchised youth to Africa to teach them and to train them and to bring them back transformed by the power of Christ. Hallelujah. I think it is our heart position, isn't it? It is our heart position that, that when we have a simplicity and we're fooled, simplicity always leads to ultra-generosity. It's not always logical to be generous. This is not a logical story. But you see, just because it's logical doesn't mean it's theological. Because we are called to be generous people. We're called to examine our lives and say, where are my idols? Where am I investing? What am I building? Who am I building it for and what am I doing? Now, I don't know what you're going to do with this sermon. Maybe you'll move to Mud Hut in Africa. But one thing I do want you to do is just ask the Lord about your life. And ask the Lord about your journey. Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The place to start with this message is to start at the cross and remind yourself that Christ gave all to you to redeem you. The most generous act in all of time and space, the supernova event of all history, is the moment when the man from Galilee was nailed to the cross and took your sins upon him. The most generous, beautiful, remarkable act of history is Jesus Christ, your Savior. And Lord, forgive us when we are full and crave so much more than craving you. Help us, Lord, to dial it down, to live humbly, to have a simple journey like the man from Nazareth who came. Forgive us, Lord, when we become consumed by so much but are not being filled with the peace of Christ. Thank you that you loved the young rich ruler. But thank you, Lord, that you come to fill us and you are the living bread. And when we sup from you, we will be filled. Help us all, Lord, to touch the divine and to walk in simplicity, generosity, and grace. We thank you, Lord. Maybe it's time for you to give your whole life back to Christ. You're online. Maybe you're a Christian, it's actually time to make him your sovereign Lord again. This is the time to do it. Take the bread that you took as you came in, or if you're online, maybe go and collect some emblems. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, he took bread and he broke it. He said, I am the bread of life. I come to give you life. I fill you. But he's also the bread that is broken. He was broken so that we may be healed. The body of Christ broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him.
You are new. You are forgiven. And you are loved. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world and is the way by which we receive salvation. Drink it. Just search your heart. If you're uh, at the end of this service, you're new, you'd like to connect, we have connect cards that are available, those orange connect cards, fill one in. And we'll be outside at the end of connect desk. I believe there's a gift bag. We want to bless you with generosity and encourage you. And we'd love to meet with you and get to know you if you're new here. And be able to um, thank you for coming. I'll be out there as well. And I'd love to meet you if you're new and find out who you are. If this has meant something to you. We don't take an offering at the moment because of it. But if you are able to give or support, boxes are available, QR codes. But let's stand together and as we sing this final song and before Pastor Jordan comes for the benediction, come Lord, I pray. Help us to walk humbly and simply before you. Help us to tear down the idols that consume us. Help us, Lord, to feed on the bread of heaven. Come, Lord, and meet us. Help us to grow in that intimacy and closeness with you.